Good morning. Good to have you with us. Um, I'm Pastor Tom, and one thing I just want to follow up on that Pastor Darden mentioned was this Wednesday night after the fun and the Sunday for the kids, um, Sunday on a Wednesday, see what we did there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sun with an O. Never mind. Um, but we're going to, you are all invited to come eat. Just let us know um, with the sign up online, but we would love to have you here. Uh, it's just a party, which is, I think, what Hope Church does best. I'm not sure, but I think it is. Um, so encourage you to come up Wednesday night. Just plan to be here. It'll be a good time. So what else? Um, on a separate note, this is just a pre-announcement. Um, a week from today, after the worship service, I'm going to have a meeting with anyone who is interested in helping us uh, reshape the way we do communion. So we have a couple of changes on the horizon. I think we're going to move away from the little cheesy plastic chalices um, and try to find something slightly more reverent uh, in our way of uh, doing communion. You can see the new tables and accoutrement that we have accumulated for this purpose. Um, but it's going to involve uh, a little bit more setup and cleanup. So I, I want to involve as many of you as have any interest in serving in that capacity so that one or two people aren't stuck with it all the time. Um, but we only do communion typically every third and fifth Sunday, so it's not like a huge commitment. Um, but uh, would love to have you if you're interested. Uh, we'll have more information out this week, uh, but just a reminder, after church next week, we'll have a little overview of what we're looking at. So if you're interested, please plan to be there. All right. Why don't we have all of the important people come down to the front at this time? If you are in sixth, fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat at this time. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Doing good? All right. How's summer going? Best summer you've had all year? It's the only summer you've had all year? You, you, got, you caught me. It's very good. All right. What, am I, what do I say to kids that are smarter than I am? I'm not sure. Hi. Okay. So I've got a really complicated Bible passage for you this morning. You ready? We're going we're gonna to memorize this passage together. All right? <clears throat> it's from 1 John, say 1 John, chapter 4, verse 8. Say that again. 1 John, verse 8. And we're only going to learn the last three words in verse 8. Okay? But the, these words come from 1 John, chapter 4, verse 8. Where do they come from? 1 John, you got it? All right, God, say that, God is love. You just memorized the Bible passage. That's pretty good. Say it again. God is love. Why does the Bible tell us that? Because if you want to make your faith as simple as it can possibly be, that's it. God is love. God loves you. God's made of love. He expresses love. He never stops showing love. That's who he is. Right? And he cares for you all the time. And so, I don't know about you, 
but sometimes I stop showing love. Have you ever stopped showing love to someone? Yes. Okay. So God never stops showing love, right? So <clears throat> your, what you believe, the Bible teaches us that this is really, really simple. Anyone can understand that God is love, right? And the way that God showed his love to us was he had a kid, and that kid grew up without ever stopping loving. He never, he never stopped loving. And then his final act of love was to go to the cross and give up his life so that we could have forgiveness and eternal life. Yeah, that's how much God loves you, that he was willing to do that for you, for me, for all of his children, so that we could have his love with us for how long? Forever. A million, more than a million years. For all of your life and all of eternity. That's pretty awesome. God is love. I think you get it. Can I pray for you guys? All right. Dear God, we thank you that you are love that you are the God who always loves, who never stops loving. You love us, you love all your children, and you went all the way to that cross to show us how much you love us. Lord, help us to remember how much you love us and how your love is in our hearts to redefine who we are, how we act, and what we think. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might do better at showing your love to the world around us, that we might be little reflections of who you are to others, that we might show love. We thank you that you are love, that you love us, and that you call us to love those around us. We pray your blessing on these children as they spend more time in your word and hope for kids. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them to a deeper understanding of how much you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Go have fun. All right. <clears throat> Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, uh, we come before you as we open your word. We pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us through your eternal word and grow us more and more into the men and women of God that you created us to be. We lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We confess to you that we are not perfect. We are often sinful and in need of your grace. And we thank you for the love and forgiveness that you poured out upon us through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Lord, help us to live out of an ongoing awareness of that sacrifice and let it redefine who we are. Father, we give you all the relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for your peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift to you those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from uncertain diagnoses, and we pray your healing mercies upon them. I lift up my brother-in-law, Lou Harris, uh, who's currently in the hospital, and I just pray your healing over him uh, as he battles cancer. I just pray that you would um, find a way, perform a miracle, just be with him, be with my sister, be with their entire family. Lord, we lift to you those who mourn, and we pray that you would comfort them. We lift to you our country and our leaders at every level of government, elected and appointed, and we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform, 
We pray that you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way, and we ask that you would bring them home safely. We lift to you those who've returned home from their service changed as a result of the sacrifices they've made for us. We pray that you would pour out your healing upon them, mind, body, and soul. Use us, your church, to minister that grace to their hearts. And Lord, be with those churches around the world that we are connected to through our denomination and through our missions giving. Uh, We just pray your blessing over those churches that we are connected to in Guatemala, in Laredo, Texas, in Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East. And we um, pray for those young church plants that are going on in the state of Texas, in New Braunfels, in Austin, and in Dallas. And we just pray your hand upon them. And we pray you would be with us as we open your word. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we have been of late in a series of messages working our way through the last four books of the Bible before you get to the book of Revelation. And in those books, uh, three of them were written, or their letters really, were written by the Apostle John. Uh, One of them is the letter Jude that we commonly call. And then we've kind of been working our way through those books. The major theme in all of these short little letters at the end of your Bible is real simple. It's love. It's God's love lived out in the church, in the world. It's love. And so we've been looking at these love letters throughout the summer. And (coughs) we are currently working our way through the letter of 1 John, And we have pointed out previously in the series, John's writing style is is a little unique. He he uses this cyclical uh, style of writing, and he uses a lot of contrast and metaphor between dark and light and good and evil um, and truth and lie. And so he uses, he just loves these really strong contrasts. But I want to just sort of prepare you as we read today's passage. Um, Don't focus, when he uses the contrast, don't focus on the dark stuff. He only only puts that there so that the light stuff stands out, so that the positive stuff is more clear. And so uh, what I would like to do, um, we're going to be reading a passage from chapter 4 of the letter of 1 John. And it's about 12 verses that we're going to study. And before we go there, I'm just going to remind us of his introduction to this letter, the very first three verses that John writes in the letter of 1 John. Um, Because he's almost constantly referring back or cycling back to the the few truths that he lays out in the first three verses. So I'm going to read the first three verses of 1 John first. But the passage we're going to study is actually out of chapter 4, but I think you'll see the point as we, as we um, look at this passage more deeply. So, first of all, from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So this is John's intro. This is kind of central to understanding the rest of the book. And now we're going to jump ahead to the passage we're in this week in chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So, I think I had previously set a little bit of context for this letter, Um, but John is writing to a group of churches in a time period where it's illegal for Christians to assemble and worship and have religious freedom. And so, they worship in secret. They worship in in little groups in people's homes, and each each, uh, homeowner family uh, is then probably the leader of that church. And so instead of, uh, imagine like if we just met in the, in the homes of people near to us, there would be six people worshiping together or ten people worshiping together or somewhere in that ballpark. And, and then you have, instead of one pastor, you've got 30 pastors in your, in your church. And the problem that quickly emerged in these churches, which were probably around the, um, the, the old city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, and John had been a pastor there and had taken care of these churches and facilitated the growth and teaching, et cetera, and the training of many of these pastors. And the problem was that, and, and this is a problem that, that Christianity still faces in all religions, I guess, but how do you how do you achieve theological uniformity when you've got when you've outsourced all the leadership and one of the things that John is trying to do is he's trying to use the the respect that he carries because he was a, an apostle with Jesus for you know 3 years he was he was traveling around he was very close to Jesus he knew him incredibly well and when John writes, people listen because they know he was one of the original 12 and he's got credibility. And the problem that John, one of the problems that John is trying to address is the, the beginnings of the fracturing of beliefs that, are, that is happening in this um, persecuted context where these churches can't really communicate with each other very well. And so some people are teaching variations. They're kind of steering off the edge of the, of the bridge of Christianity on one side, and other people are driving off the other side, and John's just trying to keep everybody in the lanes. And so his letter has a lot to do with these, the truth and lies and 
um, the Bible and false teachers, etc., etc. And he's answering in this passage two questions that I think are still uh, absolutely central to what it means to be a Christian. The, the first of those questions is simply this, who can we trust? Who can we trust? And you can, you can get online and Google Bible teaching, and you can get a really bizarre variety of interpretations, even on the same passage, if you're, if you're doing that, if you're, you know, that kind of uh, nerd, I guess, Bible nerd. Um, and so the question is, who can we trust in this outsourced world? Who can we trust? And it's really a very similar problem that Christians were facing in the first century. There was, there was no way for them to communicate other than the apostle sitting down and writing a letter and saying, this contains that which you should hold to. So the first thing John says in chapter 4 is not just anyone. Who should you trust? Not just anyone. Just because someone's reading from the Bible doesn't mean that they're trustworthy. Um, and he says, he uses this bizarre phrase, test the spirits. Um, I'm going to just tell you what I think he means. In fact, he tells you what he means. Um, chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. At this point, you might think he's talking about some ethereal, uh, touchy-feely, weird spirituality thing because he's talking about testing spirits, but he actually tells you what he means, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. He's talking about the, the spirit of a person, the teaching of a person, that which, that which comes out of their mouth. The spirit is the same word in this context as the word for breath. And so uh, some people have bad breath, some people have good breath, is kind of what John's saying. Don't just take everybody uh, in trust. Listen, discern, try to understand who they are and what they're saying. Test the spirits. And the way to do this is to listen to those who clearly confess Jesus as the Son of God. Um, this is really, really important. This is the first litmus test that John gives. And as you can imagine, you, you, you have the church being born in this little town, and it spreads, but it has to spread into different houses and different ideas and different opinions and different interpretations begin to emerge and there's a lot of confusion when these people get together. Like, wait a minute, who is Jesus? And John makes it very, very clear. Jesus is fully God. He and God the Father are one in the same. Jesus is God. And this is your first half of the litmus test. Um, <clears throat> sorry. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And I'm going back partially to that introductory chapter in, ver in chapter 1 to reference this. Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully human. He is God who became a complete human being. He was conceived in a womb, born of a Virgin Mary, and lived a human life, a fully human life. He, was, he is fully God and fully human. And those two things must be held in tension with one another, and that is the beginning of your discernment of who you can trust. If they confess that, you're good. This all means that Jesus is the incarnate word of God. Um, there's a lot that the Apostle John says about Jesus being the word. Read the first chapter of the Gospel of John, 
Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and he just goes on and on to unfold the truth that Jesus is the incarnate Word of God. So, what you're looking for in someone you can trust theologically is first and foremost that confession of the fullness of Christ's deity, the fullness of Christ's humanity, and on, in addition, the centrality of the word. So here's the simplest way to put it. Whatever I say in this context, check everything against God's word. Do not take my word. Check everything I say against the word of God. Check everything that anyone says against the whole full counsel of the word of God. This is your responsibility, not to just take things blindly, but to listen and discern and to go to the word and say, is that correct? Is he speaking the truth? Or is he off kilter? And when I am, call me to account. That's the way this should work. Um, <clears throat> you, and we'll talk about this in a moment, you have deposited in your heart, because of what Christ has done for you, the Holy Spirit. God lives inside of you. So when you're hearing something, and that, that Spirit of God that lives within you goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, all right? Then you get out your Bible, <laughs> and you talk to people that you do trust, and you make sure that what's being taught is correct. Um, Okay, so we're going to talk about the second half. The first, to listen to those who confess Jesus correctly and then to listen to the Holy Spirit within you. He is within you. The Spirit of God lives in your heart because Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the way God works. If God says, that one is mine, I love her, I, am, I have redeemed her, and then he puts in her heart a deposit of himself, the Holy Spirit, to live within her, to give life to her, to guide her, to counsel her, to walk with her, to be present. So God is within you, John reminds us. You have the Spirit of God. So talk about outsourcing, right? God has said, each one of you have my spirit, and you have my word, and you can use these two things when you listen. So let me be very clear. You do not need me. You do not need me. I hope that I can be helpful to you in our journey together in Christ. I, I hope you're here because it's helpful to your faith. But you do not need me to be a Christian. You do not need me to be able to discern what's right and wrong. You have the Spirit of God within you. You have the Word of God for you. You are given God's capacity to discern. That's a good thing. That keeps all of us more honest, hopefully. Um, so here we are the call to listen to the Holy Spirit that is within us and that John reminds us is greater than anything that threatens you. John uses this contrast between the world and the kingdom of God and he basically says you belong to God and other people don't and there's going to be a disconnect and you need to understand something. The Spirit of God lives within you, and when you run up against things in this world that, that hurt or don't make sense or generate conflict, you need to remember that the Spirit of God that lives within you is greater than anything that threatens you in this world. And here's why, here's why John keeps going back to Jesus and the death of Jesus. It's really simple. Jesus 
walked into the valley of the shadow of death and said, I'll take it. Give it to me. And then, on the third day, he rose and walked out of the grave. And you, because of his work for you, have within you the deposit that is greater than death itself. You have eternal life. You have something that literally no one can take away from you. That is awesome. That is strength. That whatever besets you, you have within you that which is greater. You have the deposit of the risen Christ in your heart. Follow, listen, because he will help you discern the truth. The spirit that is within you, that is greater than anything that threatens you, is there to walk with you, to help you listen, to help you learn, to help you grow. Because that is the point. So, after I'm done, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause for questions again. And the main reason I'm doing this is not because there's a lot of tricky stuff this week, but in the next couple of weeks, it gets weird up in here in the, in the, towards the end of 1 John. So we're going to be taking up some pretty heavy subjects, um, but we're just going to get in the habit of asking questions. So if, if there's anything that I say that you're like, what? Write it down. I'll pause for questions later, and then we can discuss. So that's the first question. Who can we trust? We trust those who confess Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, the incarnate word, and we check everything against Scripture. Then we listen to the Holy Spirit who lives within us, greater than anything threatening us, who helps us discern the truth. The second question that John takes up in this portion of, his wor- of God's word is simply this, how can we love? How can we love? How, what are the mechanisms that compel love? And John is beautifully clear here. And then I, I must say, this is John at his best. When he, when he rolls back into the subject of love, and who God is, and who we are called to be. This is John, the pastor, his heart, his his years of of experience living as a Christian. This is John at his best. And so, uh, here we go. We're looking now at verses 7 through 12 of 1 John chapter 4. And I'm going to summarize verses 7 through 10 as saying that we, if we are to love, we must begin with what Jesus has done for us. That's where it all starts. If you want to love, go back to the cross. It's that simple, or at least that's where it begins. You are to know, and John John uses this language here, that you have been born again. Let me read um, verse 7 for us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. This is verse 8 now. Because God is love. So, this idea that we have been spiritually born, just like we were physically born, Um, is very, very central to John's understanding of God. That we go through this birth process as a function of our faith in the same way that we did physically, um, or in similar ways is probably a better way to say it. Um, You, as we stated earlier, you know God. God knows you. This is truly remarkable. Um, At the time in which this was written, there were no other religions in the world where this level of mutual understanding was espoused. The, The Greek and Roman religious system, you did not know 
your God. You knew of your God, but you were afraid that if you messed something up, that God would smite you in some way. Um, And so before you went to sea, you made all kinds of sacrifices to Poseidon or Neptune or whoever it was you believed ruled out there because you were afraid. You didn't think that that God knew you as a person, that that God loved you. You just tried to respect that God so they didn't mess you up. What John is espousing here is mind-blowingly unique in its context. You have been born again. God knows you, and you can know God. You are to find life in God's love. This idea that, that faith overcomes death, it's really simple. This life is not all there is. It's not. And so God is saying as clearly as he can, look up, look past it all, and grab a hold of that which is transcendent and true and eternal because you need it. Because this life is going to throw things at you that you don't want. So know that you've been born again. Find life in God's love. Quite simply, God is love, and love brings life. This is the message that John is repeating and and circling back through throughout his writings. God is love. Love brings life. You have been claimed by a holy, eternal God. Let me ask you a question. How much choice did you have in your physical birth? Zero. So when when God says you've been born of him, I don't think I need to go any further. You were born of the choice of God into life, into freedom, into love eternal. God loves you, and no one can take you out of his hands. No one. You are loved. This is why the Bible calls God's people his chosen people. Because you're safe. You're loved. You are secure. We know that we've been born again. We find life in God's love and we rest in Christ's forgiveness. Can I read verse 10 to you again? In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, They should have translated that with a word you understand, and that would be like satisfaction. Like if if you're in a courtroom and and the, the the payment for a penalty satisfies the requirement, that's a propitiation. It's it's a satisfaction of a legal requirement. Jesus has satisfied the legal requirement for your redemption. You're free. You're forgiven. You're loved. You are eternally His. So, that's where we begin with what Christ has done for us. Then, John rolls it forward. And he says, if that's what Jesus has done for you, then very simply extend that love to others. Show life-giving love to others. Um, I cannot confess strongly enough how um, inconsistent I am in this particular calling or aspect of our calling. We are broken. I do not always do this, and I need to be really clear with you, okay? This, this is not, I'm not speaking as 
someone who's mastered the skill of loving others in a life-giving way. I'm speaking as one who's in the same boat that you are, that I'm broken, I'm in need of God's grace. It all begins at the foot of that cross. And if I can go back there for myself, for the people I love, there is the strength, the truth, the clarity from which I need to live, that from which we all need to live. To show life-giving love, to show forgiving love. Um, I only put the hyphen there because the blanks, right? Just they went so well together. Um, you are forgiven. That gives you the freedom to forgive. There's something about the fellowship of the forgiven that the, the barriers come down when we come back to how forgiven we are. We are then more free to forgive. John beautifully understands and articulates the simplicity of that truth. We, verse 12, are to show others what God looks like so that when they interact with us, they come away with a better understanding of who God is. He says, no one's ever seen God, but they can see him at work through you when you love. And when, when we <laughs> interact with others in such a way that they have a better view of who the devil is when they're done interacting with us, uh, then we go back to that cross. We go back and back and back until we come away from our interactions with others having given a better sense of who God is, his grace, his love, his peace, his patience, his forgiveness. You are not supposed to be perfect. You're not. You are supposed to grow toward maturity. I'm going to pick up on a word in verse 12. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The Bible is not telling you you have to be perfect. That's not what he's saying. Um, the first person... To, to bring this verse into the English language was a guy named John Wycliffe, 13-something. So 1360, 1370, something like that, long time ago. And at the time that John Wycliffe wrote this into English, the word perfect meant something more like complete or mature, okay? And then the English language has developed into this current era in which we speak it, and we use the word perfect to mean flawless, without blemish or something like that. And actually, all, all that was meant when the first translator wrote this was that you are called toward maturity. You are to be more full of grace tomorrow than you were yesterday. You are to grow. You are to be more and more complete or mature in your faith, in the robustness and fullness of who God has called you to be. You don't have to be perfect. That's not the point. You are called to get better. So what do they say? God loves you just the way you are, and he loves you way too much to leave you that way. Okay? And so that's the idea. All right. I told you we would pause for questions. So if you have any, this would be a great time to ask them. And again, this is just a warm-up because there's nothing, I don't think there's anything like hugely weird in the stuff we just covered. Um, but some of the most quotable verses in, in the letter of 1 John are in this little section right here. But any questions? I'm going to shut up long enough for there to be an awkward pause. Yes, sir. How do you, the question is, how do you know when the Holy Spirit is leading you? And so I'll talk about um, 
there, there's three, three components to discernment. One is inward, like what is the spirit within you saying? What kind of wrestling is being done in your heart? The second one is external. What do the people around you that know you, that love you, that you trust, what do they say? How are they responding to whatever this leading is? And then thirdly is the word. What does God's word say? So if, if you're um, you know, saying God is leading me to do this and this is immoral and his word clearly says no, then there's your answer. You're, you're following some other desire other than the desire of the Holy Spirit. It's usually not that clear, right? Um, and if you find yourself saying uh, things that are uh, trite or trivial, like, for example, well, God wants me to be happy. Show me in this book a, a single verse that says that God is primarily concerned with our happiness. He, he's, he's not. He's concerned with our uh, moral fiber. He's concerned with our character. He's concerned with our uh, development. But never does he say, I did all this so you could be happy, right? And so listen to what you're saying and, and hold it up against God's word. Um, listen to the people that he has surrounded you with. Uh, so internal, external, and the word. Did that help? Okay. Any other questions? Yes, sir. So John Dunn, one of our elders, for those of you who are listening um, virtually, uh, was just saying that when he was young and married, uh, he'd be paralyzed with some decision that was facing his family, and his wife would say, you know, pray about it, think on it, sleep on it if you have to, and then just do something, <laughs> right? Just, just follow that first impulse, uh, if, you know, if it's obviously not whatever, but you get the idea. But if, if what you're doing isn't God's will, he will make that clear, and you can redirect at that time. But, but doing nothing isn't going to get you anywhere, so do something, and then listen as you go. Good. Good word. Any other questions? Comment. Yes. Yes. So I think if I can summarize your observation for those who are listening, um, th just the saturation of information that's out there in this time period in which we live is both wonderful and traumatic all at the same time. Um, just an overwhelming amount of information available. Um, how do you know, maybe there's a question, you know, how do you know who you can trust? And... I think, you know, going back to that first portion of this chapter, verses 1 through 6, um, John is actually dealing with that question, right? He's like, you've got all these different opinions. How do you know what you can trust? And 
I, I think first, foremost, like that articulation of deity and humanity of Christ, full deity, full humanity, that is really important. Um, and, and that was one of the first sort of deviations from the Christian lane that John was experiencing off of both sides, actually, the humanity side and the divinity side. Um, but is that person part of a community that confesses that? That might be the first layer of questioning. Um, but then even, you know, even among the general population of Christians in this world who do confess that, there's great disagreement over <laughs> everything else. Um, so I think, Bill, the, the, the best thing I can tell you is the, the sweetest, best place you can be is, is with your Bible, listening to the Holy Spirit, um, and then when you run up against something that doesn't make sense or you can't get past, then seek out sources that you find to be reliable that you can trust, that do confess well, and, and look for support there. Um, just as an example, I try not to read, I have a couple of commentators that I love. Um, in fact, I should, I should spread out a little bit more than what I do. I, I tend to go to one guy mostly, but um, I try not to go read that until I've done the outline the, of the passage, so I, I've, I've like, I've, this is what I think God's saying to me through this part of his word. Now, let me go see if I, if I was off base or, you know, if there's better ways to understand it or articulate it, etc. But I think your first step is into the word, your heart, God's word, his spirit, that's a sweet place. All right, let me close us with prayer and we'll have our worship team come forward and um, get on with this thing. Father God, thank you for the gift of your church, for the gift of your word, for the ways in which you shape us and grow us into the men and women that you have created us to become. And Lord, we thank you that you don't call us to be perfect, but you do call us toward maturity, to grow up into uh, the fullness of who you are, to Help those around us get a glimpse of who you are by the way we relate to them. Lord, uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might um, better reflect the light of your love to the world around us. And be with us each step of the way as we um, stumble and sometimes even fall. Um, we thank you that you are the God who loves, who forgives, who is always with us, who has proved his love for us and given us the deposit of his Holy Spirit to guide us and shape us more and more into your image. In your son's holy and precious name we pray, amen.